This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. Hello and welcome to the Financial Standard podcast. I'm Jamie Williamson, Managing Editor of Financial Standard. Today's episode is brought to you by MFS Investment Management and I'm joined by MFS Portfolio Manager, Michael Grossman. In previous episodes, we've discussed what makes small and mid-cap stocks such a compelling investment opportunity right now. But today, we're going to dive a little deeper into how those opportunities are found and where to fish for winners. Michael, thanks so much for sitting down with me. Thanks for having me. Michael, what are common characteristics of small and mid-cap companies that make them successful? So the types of companies that we look for are typically market leaders. Uh, and they don't have to be huge markets because these are small and mid-cap stocks. So, you know, we're not looking for the next Microsoft, um, although that would be nice. Uh, but these are market leaders and they could be pretty niche markets. And we can get into some examples of that if you'd like. Uh, they're companies that have a compelling return on investment to customers. So either consumers or some value proposition there that resonates uh, or with a business in terms of the type of product or service that they're uh, consuming. And what that leads to is pricing power. And when you have pricing power, typically that leads to margin expansion, you can manage inflation, etc. cetera. Uh, another factor is just a strong management team. And what a strong management team does is it improves the capital allocation. So companies that when they generate cash, they've got to allocate that capital somewhere, either giving it back to shareholders or investing organically or investing inorganically in acquisitions. And a good management team is going to have a high threshold and a high success rate of generating those returns on investments. And I would say the last thing that we look for in a good small mid-cap company is just a company with visibility in its business. So it's a lot of companies that have recurring revenue streams or large backlogs. And what that does is it enables those good management teams to make solid investment decisions because they know the cash flow that's coming in. So we tend to stay away from deeply cyclical companies or companies that have large capital equipment requirements in terms of the product that they're selling. And it creates that recurring revenue, uh, underlying recurring revenue stream. And, and one other thing I just want to point out is um, I always want to highlight, you know, a good company is not necessarily a good stock. So we're in the business of picking good stocks. I think it's probably the easier part of the assignment for us and for investors in general is to identify good companies. You meet with a company, you say it checks all the boxes maybe of what, what I just mentioned. You set that aside into good company box. And, you know, if it's not a good company, it goes in a bad company box. But to get into the good stock box, that's a lot harder. So you need to have valuation on your side as, as well. So we're looking for good companies and we're also looking for companies that trade in attractive valuations. Where are you finding some of these opportunities at the moment? Which sectors or geographies is MFS looking at? Where we're seeing some of these valuation opportunities emerge uh, is in the industrial space. In particular, we've been allocating incremental capital to, and specifically within industrials, uh, one of the themes is, is the electronification of everything. So you're seeing increased uh, electronic and semiconductor content in your automobile, for example. So uh, we've long owned a company called Sensata, which is one of the leaders in providing those semiconductors to the automotive space. We also own a company that's called LKQ, which makes uh, auto parts, uh, aftermarket auto parts. And when you get into an accident now, uh, if you think about getting having a fender bender, it's not just the fender. There's typically a sensor that's embedded in that sensor. So it gets a lot more expensive uh, for you to replace that vendor. And that's beneficial to a company like LKQ. 
Another area within industrials we're finding attractive opportunities on the infrastructure side. So in the U.S. in particular, um, there's quite a bit of, of money that's being allocated to infrastructure from both the Inflation Reduction Act and also a large infrastructure fund that uh, where monies are just getting, getting let um, for major projects. So we own a company called Jacobs, which is an engineering and construction firm, market share leader. They're actually divesting uh, their government consulting and IT services business which will help improve the growth profile of the company as what's left is, is this engineering and consulting business that's focused specifically on infrastructure and, and uh, not only buildings and bridges, but also energy projects as well. There's a lot of infrastructure going into the global energy complex, speaking of energy, and JGC is, is the market share leader in engineering construction in Japan, focused on hydrocarbon projects, natural gas projects, um, LNG, et cetera, where there's a lot of capital moving. So. From a sector perspective, you know, really industrials is the area that we've increased our overweight to. And from a geographic perspective, there's quite a bit of dispersion as well. Um, we're pretty underweight North America at the moment. And the reason for that is because the North American market trades at a big premium, especially to Europe and the UK. Right now, it's, it's a 40% premium, which is close to a 10-year high. So we're seeing a lot of opportunity for ideas uh, in the UK and Europe. You know, in the UK, as an example, just uh, Breeden is a company that makes uh, aggregates and cement. So again, in that infrastructure space, they're the number four player in that market. It's a very localized market because it's very heavy to uh, and costly, therefore, to move aggregates and cement uh, around a country. So there's no import or export. They're the number four player there. Came out of uh, CMEX. It was CMEX's is UK business. And you know, that trades at a significant discount to some of the U- U.S. peers that we've looked at in the past, like a Martin Marietta or a Vulcan. We'd love to see them get the uh, breeding, get those kind of multiples, which will drive really attractive returns uh, for that stock in particular. And I mean, obviously, all large companies were once small. So can you share some emerging names that I guess you, you see as showing promise mm-hmm. at the moment and that may become the next leaders in their sector? Sure go back to a comment I made earlier, you know, I mean, we'd love to find the next Microsoft, um, but the reality is we're looking for steady growth, long duration growth uh, types of investments. And so, you know, we're looking at businesses that are market share leaders already. They're not looking to displace a Microsoft, uh, but they're in growth industries or they're in large enough industries where these companies can double, triple, quadruple in size, even though it's within, uh, you know, the context of a small mid cap uh, company and revenue base. And so an example of that uh, is a company probably people haven't, haven't heard about before. It's called Ritchie Brothers, and they're the largest player in the industrial equipment auction market. And they still have single-digit market share in that market um, because a lot of industrial equipment is just traded kind of person to person. And they're very, they've spent the last several decades formalizing this market. They have market share leadership. They now have an online platform um, that they got through an acquisition many years ago, and they further expanded their addressable market more recently with, with a pretty controversial, but we think attractive investment uh, in a company called IAA, which gets them into the salvage car and um, used car auto auto market as well, auction market as well. We view it as pretty complimentary. It just exp- expands their addressable market and, and their growth. So, I mean, this is, you know, a sector where they're already the biggest and they can become bigger. So we're not necessarily looking for you know, companies to displace the largest players. And, you know, we think over time, if they continue to grow double digits, they will become a large cap, um, you know, from their current small cap status. Um, but there, there's also companies that are more disruptors and, and they're looking to disrupt that 
large incumbent. So an example of that might be a company like Five9 Communications, which makes software for contact centers. And they're displacing and winning business every day against companies like Avaya and Genesis that are the large cap leaders in that space. And they've got a disruptive product with a cloud offering that the incumbents don't. And so we do see a company like that becoming becoming the market share leader down the road. You've already briefly kind of touched on technology. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on AI and whether you think this is going to be a major driver of growth. It's a pretty foregone conclusion that it's a transformational technology. That being said, AI has been around for a long time. You know, 15 years ago, it was big data. Uh, and big data analytics, and that's what everyone wanted to talk about. And then it was big data and ML, machine learning. And then it became artificial intelligence. And we've talked about artificial intelligence for the last, um, you know, five plus years. But generative AI is different. And the big difference in terms of its power is, and why it's only come to fore today, is because of the amount of compute power that it requires to build these large language learning models, as an example. And so the amount of compute power required you know, is multiples of what it is today, which mean, which is going to drive an investment in, uh, in data centers in particular to uh, afford that, that power to be emitted in order to be consumed by companies who are building these models. So one way we've invested in AI without having to pick a winner, and there probably will be companies that are getting funded today that will be winners in AI, but there will also be existing software companies that have existing relationships that can use the tools to enhance their offering and, and continue to be leaders in software. But one way to, uh, you know, kind of get a, a neutral uh, view on AI and, and ensure that we're investing in, in a winner is to invest in that data center on the power side of things, the picks and shovels, if you will. Uh, so we own a company called Envent that makes liquid cooling for data centers. All this power emits a lot of heat and the traditional ways of cooling through just fans and, and, and blowers uh, doesn't work. It's not as efficient. And so Envent is a company that's uh, the market share leader and, and really the, the pioneer in the liquid cooling technology. So they're seeing significant amount of growth today. We expect that to continue. Um, and then also on the semiconductor side. So um, there's going to be more semiconductor capex that's spent to build out this compute power. And we own a couple of market share leaders there, a company called ASM International. Uh, which does uh, deposition for for semiconductor chips. So they they lay down a film. Um, they're the market share leader in that technology, it's known as ALD. They have about seventy percent market share in the semi side, and then also in the semi side, we own a company called VAT Group. Uh, it's based in Switzerland, and they do vacuum pumps um, or vacuum valves rather for clean rooms. When as Semiconductors have to get faster and faster in what's called moving down node. It requires more uh, of these of these valves and these vacuum systems that VAT has over 60% market share in. So that's how we're investing, kind of taking a bit of a neutral view yeah. um, and getting behind the capital investment that's required to power AI without having to pick an AI winner per se. I don't want to bring the mood down at all, but I'm curious as to uh, how you are positioning your portfolio for any potential economic slowdown that you might foresee. So we try not to be, um, you know, macro prognosticators and call a recession. I think, you know, over a year ago, the the market was generally calling for a recession this year. It hasn't happened. Um, we weren't necessarily positioning the portfolio for a recession back then, and we aren't today. That being said, you know, we are you know, we talk to companies every day, multiple companies every day, and, and companies report all the time, and, and they are seeing a slowdown, um, whether that means in 
you know, recession from an economic, you know, technical perspective, who knows. Uh, but the types of companies that we typically own are these uh, companies that have more recurring revenue, that are more durable businesses. Um, so they're well positioned for a downturn. Uh, we typically own companies with superior balance sheets so they don't have to worry about financing or funding of their businesses. Uh, and, you know, and we're going to own companies uh, that are therefore going to perform better in this downturn with more recurring revenue. And we've shown that in the past where uh, during moment during market downturns and, and macro uh, uncertainty, these companies hold up better than the more cyclical businesses that we tend to stay away from. So we feel like we're positioned well for uh, for a downturn, but we're certainly not going to call it. You know, the other thing I would just mention is you've seen big sell-offs just in the last couple months in small cap. And so valuations now, um, you know, are below historical average. So the market's telling you something. The market's forecasting mechanism and is forecasting this slowdown. And so the extent it's not as bad as the market thinks, you know, could be represent a buying opportunity. And we are seeing some of those buying opportunities where we're seeing, you know, those value attractive valuation levels where the market is overly pessimistic in certain sectors, uh, in our opinion. So we aren't macro, um, you know, macro investors, but, but we feel like we're well prepared for, for any kind of slowdown. Now, while we're on the topic of fishing for winners, I do have one little bonus question for you. I know that you're a keen deep sea fisherman. How do you as an investor compare fishing to investing? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll take it a step further and say how I compare it to small cap and, and global, small mid cap and global investing. I've been doing small cap investing for, for the last 20 years now. And one thing that really attracts me to the small cap space relative to the large cap space uh, where I was prior to is just there's, there's fewer people looking at, at these companies. Um, there's fewer analysts. So there's more opportunity to find a differentiated view. And at the end of the day in investing, you need to have a differentiated view if you're going to have a differentiated returns relative to the market. Hopefully you're right on the differentiated view and the differentiated returns are positive and generating alpha. But I view large cap investing as kind of fishing in a pond. There's, you know, the case of, you know, if you're investing in the U.S., it's the S&P 500. There's 500 names to look at. In the SMID Global Index um, that we're benchmarked against, there's 7,500 names. And so there's just a broader opportunity set. And so here, you know, you go from fishing in ponds. And maybe when I was a kid, I was fishing inshore and maybe off a dock for little snappers. And then I really got into um, fishing for larger fish like striped bass and bluefish and then eventually tuna and marlin and you had to go further and further offshore and get further afield to identify those or to catch those trophy fish and i view investing very much the same way in the global smid investing very much the same way where i'm not just fishing in the local pond or fishing off the dock i can go to whatever ocean i want wherever the fish are and wherever the trophy fish are and hopefully we're accumulating as many of those trophy fish as we can or trophy stocks in this case well michael thank you so much again for sitting down with me Today, we've been talking with Michael Grossman from MFS Investment Management, the sponsor of today's episode. Join us again next week when we wrap up this series with a discussion on the advantages of active management when it comes to small and mid caps. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 